This is Weekly Woman by Jubilance for PMS. Hi everyone, it's Alice Cash and welcome to Weekly Woman. We have a really great lineup for you today about PMS, hysteria, and a two-time Olympian back with us, Lena Taylor. So check it out. Have you ever been deep in your PMS time of the month and been called hysterical or told that you were acting hysterically? Have you ever wondered where that comes from? Even if you haven't quite experienced that moment, this notion of hysteria carries a deep history in the mental health field, and therapist Becca Lantry is helping me understand the terminology. One of the first studies conducted in the mental health field took place in 18th century France on possible treatments for hysteria, the outlandish and over-emotional behavior from women. Freud later commented on this field and thought that hysteria was likely a response to particular trauma. Imagine that, a bunch of older men deciding what is best and appropriate for women's minds and bodies. Hysteria was considered a psychological disorder up until 1980 and first described in 1880 by Frenchman Jean-Martin Charcot. Charcot lectured to his medical students, including Freud, where he would show photos and live subjects because he believed that hysteria was caused by an unknown internal injury to the nervous system. Ada McVean at McGill University states, Hysteria was basically the medical explanation for everything that men found mysterious or unmanageable in women, a conclusion only supported by men's historic and continuing dominance over medicine and hysteria's continued use as a synonym for over-emotional or deranged. No one thought to consider any hormonal relations to these behaviors. It was not until recently during the formation of postmodern mental health approaches where hysteria started to become viewed as an oppressive diagnosis. Hysteria points to ways in which men and women speak of their bodies in different terms. Only now is there starting to be dialogue about menstruation and how women's bodies differ from men's. Today we're hearing from two-time Olympian Lena Taylor, who talks to us about life as a female athlete and that moment she got her period during the Olympic Games. This Olympian is a real estate business owner, mentor to elite athletes, co-founder of a college football award, wife of a Super Bowl champion, and mother of three. She has a full life of reinvention, and that did not happen by accident. She grew up in communist Bulgaria and at 17 came to the U.S. to further her education. Unsatisfied by her first job, she followed her passion, learned to play beach volleyball, all while working three jobs, and she qualified for the Olympics in two years. We're so excited to talk to her again today. Lena, what is new with you? What's what's new from last time we talked? From last time we talked, it's been um, three or four more months of quarantine life. <laughs> we had like this glimpse of hope that things were kind of opening up. Uh, but I think I was prepared for this, you know, knowing how being a biology major and understanding how viruses work, I knew that this would happen in the winter. You know, normally we get more sick during the winter. That's when the germs start to spread. So it was, I expected that things will shut back down again. And um, I'm really happy that for the kids, they're able to maintain some kind of uh, school environment. Our school put in very strict measures. Um, and I think they're doing great. You know, they split up the kids in smaller pods. They're doing the whole social distancing. Um, so it's giving them a little bit of taste of normal school, but also, you know, families are feeling really good about the kids being protected. 
That's good. Do they still get to play with kids while they're at school? I guess like in their pods? In their little pod, um, they play outside. They do have to wear their masks. Uh, but the kids are so resilient, you know, they just get used to it. I think some, some, some of the things would bother me more than they're bothering the kids. So I just, I try not to say anything, you know, <laughs> a lot of times we influence our kids by what we say. And all of a sudden I hear, you know, if I said something yesterday, I hear it from them today. I'm like, I have to be really careful about what I say <laughs> and just kind of put a, you know, a positive can do um, attitude on it. That's great. And what have you guys been up to during quarantine? So they're back at school. So that's they're, good. They're back at school. I'm doing a lot of online presentations through the Airbnb platform. They're online experiences for companies that are actually in the same situation that schools are. So everybody's working from home and it's really difficult. This is what I hear from different people. It's really difficult to maintain the, the team environment and really your energy when you're just working from home and you're on Zoom calls all day. So what companies are doing is they're finding these experiences. You know, I talk about the Olympics. I talk about how um, the different principles that I figured out, you know, how to accomplish kind of big dreams in your life. And I think uh, they're finding it very inspirational. So I've been, you know, presenting to companies like Intel and Dropbox and Microsoft is coming up and, and so I'm just really excited. It's been a little fun addition for me. When the kids are at school, I do my presentations. And that is so amazing. <laughs> just yeah. wonderful. And can you remind us a little bit about your journey for our, our audience that hasn't heard your podcast yet? Um, can you talk a little bit about your journey to the Olympics? Yeah. So, you know, I was born in Bulgaria um, in 1975 while it was still a communist country. And when I was 14 years old, the Berlin Wall came down. And it was for the first time at that time that it was maybe possible to even think about uh, going abroad. Um, and so I started playing volleyball when I was really young. That was one of the ways during communism that you could have an opportunity to leave the country because otherwise you weren't allowed to travel. And, and so volleyball became for me a way to accomplish my dreams to create a better life for myself and for my family. And when I was 17, I got a scholarship to play volleyball at the University of Idaho. Um, that was prior to the internet, prior to everything. And the way I got it was that I had a pen pal from Cyprus and I was practicing my English, you know, writing letters to her. And she, I had told her in my letter, I'm looking for a way to come to the United States. My parents couldn't send me because they were making something like $100 a month when you translated the money. So it was wow. completely impossible financially for them to do it. And I had to figure out if I wanted to do that, how to, how to make it happen. So she was working, my pen pal friend was working at the Volleyball Federation in Cyprus. And one day she found a letter that somebody had thrown in the trash. Uh, it was a recruiting letter from the volleyball coach at the University of Idaho. So she saw wow. the letter, pulled it out of the trash, sent it to me, and that's how I got my scholarship, right? Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's amazing. I know, the things, the things that happened. But I think I really was the intention in me writing that letter and sharing my dream um, and not thinking that it's something completely impossible. It didn't seem probable that it would happen, but it, you, know, you, you can't tell a kid not to dream. <laughs> so yeah go ahead that's that's amazing and you know like the olympics they were canceled this summer um can you talk a little bit about that like 
like all of these athletes must have been working and training and like dreaming about this day and then it's canceled until maybe next summer yeah you know it's just my heart goes out to all the athletes and the organizers and you know everybody it's such a huge movement and there's so many moving parts that have to happen for an athlete the olympics are the epitome of just what you really motivates you on a daily basis to sacrifice to make a ton of sacrifices you know I started playing volleyball when I was eight. And in order to be on that track to where eventually I could have a chance to go to the Olympics, it's, it's like you're not going to pool parties with your friends. You're not, you know, so from the age of 10, 11, 12, you're, you're on a track that you end up sacrificing so much. And so if something like this happens, you know, I also thought about in 1980 when the Cold War was going on and, And so athletes from the United States didn't go to Russia to compete. You know, that's four years for these, especially those athletes that are gymnasts or, you know, they're so dependent. There's like a time that you peak in your sport, right? And the longevity is maybe not so much where you can make the next Olympic cycle. It's just, it's so heartbreaking. Um, I'm hoping that these athletes now are just kind of hanging in there. For me, the Olympics, once I came to the United States and started, you know, my education, even though I was playing volleyball in college, I had kind of given up on my Olympic dream. You know, it was, I was more focused on getting my education. I was a biology degree. And once I graduated from college, I got a job at a vitamin company. And um, yeah, and I moved to San Diego and I was just kind of playing beach volleyball for fun on the weekends, you know, weekend warrior, just go out there. And in 1996, I was sitting in my living room in uh, Mission Beach and watching the Olympics on TV. And so I would go out on the weekend and I'll try to do what, you know, these amazing athletes were doing. And one of my friends just kind of said, hey, do you think you can play in the Olympics? I said, no way. You know, how, how would that happen? <laughs> you know, you're just, you're just thinking like, that's a whole new sport. You know, it's just so hard to imagine transferring your skills from indoor volleyball to beach volleyball. It's just like, it's so humbling, right? I mean, <laughs> but little by little, you know, what started happening is, um, is I was working, you know, a, a year under my belt, another year in a, my corporate job. I was kind of started to get discouraged by the culture of, you know, is it Friday yet? You know, people just seemed so lackluster about their experience at work. And here I was, you know, 21 years old, like, let's go and change the world. And, but I didn't meet that enthusiasm, you know, in, at my work. And I really started thinking like, is that what I have to look forward to for the rest of my life? And I had this, you know, thing about like, no, I don't want to live my life like that. I want to make something with my life. And that's when I said, well, what if, you know, what if I commit to this idea of qualifying and playing um, in the Olympics for beach volleyball? It, of course, it wasn't so easy. But once I made that decision, I started taking little steps that eventually, against all odds, you know, just four years after I had watched it on TV, my sister, my little sister and I, we played together, we ended up qualifying and playing in the Athens Olympics, and then made the jump to become professional and ended up playing in, um, yeah, in the Sydney Olympics first, and then in Athens. 
That's so incredible. And for any of you who haven't heard Lena's other podcast for Weekly Woman, you have to listen to her journey of getting to the Olympics and how she qualified in two months and and was able to get there. Um, it's just incredible. So Lena, that is just amazing. Can you talk a little bit about the opening ceremonies? What was that like in Athens, your first opening ceremonies there? Um, it's it's kind of a out of this world experience. You know, you walk into the stadium, first of all, the way the athletes were staged by country under the stadium, you know, um, where the entrance of the stadium is. And so you're with all these other athletes from all over the world. And I remember seeing Roger Federer, you know, and just going like, you know, just pinching myself, like, is this for real? Um, and, and so once um, the opening ceremonies are happening, the athletes start walking out. And then once you walk out on that stage and you see, you know, this enormous stadium full of people, then you see all the video cameras from all over the world are pointing at you. It's just like, you feel like you're walking on clouds. It was everything that, you know, and, and, and for me, just feeling almost like an outsider, right? Because, you know, here I was on my journey, never thinking that I could have a chance to do that. And then actually being there, it was really, I really had to pinch myself hard a couple of times. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, it was amazing. So we've got to stop and talk about our sponsor, Jubilance for PMS. It's a daily supplement that helps you be you. Jubilance is an over-the-counter nutritional supplement shown in clinical trials to relieve the emotional symptoms of PMS. That means less stress, anxiety, and more of getting back to your life. You deserve to be your best self all month long. And thanks to modern science, PMS is now optional. It's the first and only product for emotional PMS backed by real science with double-blind, placebo-controlled, peer-reviewed studies. And it works. I work for Jubilance because I'm here to help women, and this is the real deal. Jubilance isn't just a product. It's a global mission to make PMS mood swings a thing of the past. The Jubilant Sisterhood is a movement of thousands of strong women escaping the PMS struggle with science, sharing, and communal support. We're here for you each week with stories of amazing women, your weekly playlist on Spotify, and for you to dish and cry about periods on our Facebook group. So why not give Jubilance a try? Go to www.jubilance.com to learn more. Oh my gosh. And you're an Olympic athlete and you still get your period. You were telling me a little bit about your story at the Olympics. Would you mind? Yeah. So, it? you know, being um, just starting with volleyball at such an early age and starting to play, I remember how horrified I was of getting my period. And, you know, with volleyball, just being a girl, um, having to compete and having to manage that experience. And for me, uh, my periods were always really uh, painful. I had cramps really, really badly if, ever since I was a little girl. And I remember that if I was somehow, somehow, you know, physiologically, I don't know exactly what the mechanism was, but if I was outside and in the sun and kind of got overheated right before my period started, my cramps would be maybe... 10 times worse. And so, oh but how do you manage that if you are in a competition and, you know, you don't control all these things. If I'm sitting at home, yeah, of course I can kind of feel this is starting to happen. I can lay down and, you know, just kind of stay cool. But if you're, if you're in a place, you know, if you're 
somewhere in the in the world traveling with your team you know how do you manage all these things and i think you know as we didn't have a lot of people talking to us about this and so i kind of felt even though my friends were there and we were all in it together supporting one another uh, another it wasn't you know it wasn't a subject that kind of felt really accepted in in and to share that you know i'm in a lot of pain a lot of time we had male coaches so we were afraid of you know basically saying like i'm in a lot of pain you know because we don't want to get benched and it's like yeah you don't want to lose your spot because you can't perform so you just kind of learn from a really young age to stuff it you know you're a tough girl it's almost like you ignore this part of yourself that really makes you a woman that makes you who you are and um so, you know, I had gone through many, many years of that, obviously, and then learning how to manage that on the beach playing in bikini, right? Wow. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine. I just want to, like, lie in bed with, like, no light. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's, I mean, that's what you feel like doing. But here I was. And so this is the uh, Athens Olympics. We're playing our second match. We lost our first match so miserably in our group that if we didn't win this one, we had no chance of advancing. So everything is on the line, everything that you can imagine. And we're playing, it's 1 p.m. in the middle of the day in Athens. It's something like 100 degrees outside. Oh it's so hot. And of course, I'm starting to feel like cramps are coming on. And it's the warm-up. You know, we're just warming up. And I'm just going, oh my God, I'm like, this is not going to end well. I mean, if this is starting right now and we're still in the warm up, where is this taking me? Well, what ended up happening is that by the time, you know, we fought really hard, we won the first set, you played two out of three sets. So you have to win two if you want to continue. So we won the first set, we ended up losing the second set. So we're in the third set and you play to Gosh. 15 points. Um, you have to win by two. So the score is 13 13 like there's two points oh left gosh. that everything that i've worked for in my entire life is riding on this moment and i'm dying you know and i have to make a decision at that point you know what kind of happened to me was i had this flashback of all these times that i was a little girl and i had to stuff it and be the be the tough girl don't share no pain you know, just, and, and I felt like I'm about to do this now. And, and what's going to happen in the next two points is going to determine basically, you know, the outcome of my Olympic experience. So on one hand, I had the option of taking a medical timeout. So you take a medical timeout. It's not like the cramps are going to go away, but at least I can take a, a pill or something and kind of gather myself for this next two points to yeah. give everything that I can of myself, even though, you know, I'm already in a compromised situation um, or push through it. You know, don't disturb the status quo. Don't make noise. Don't let anybody find out, oh, no. you know, so there's all these like, talks that are happening in my mind and at the same time i know that i have to like perform in front of the whole world and in this most important moment and at that point 
I'm so glad that for the first time in my life, I listened to this other voice that said, you know, don't worry about inconveniencing everybody. You know, this is your, your moment. You work for this your entire life and everything depends on it. Take the time out. Take the time out, you know, and, and just, yeah, just try to take care of yourself as much as you can. So I take a t- medical time out. Of course, you know, I hadn't even told my sister what's oh happened because I don't want her to like think about me and worry about me. And, you know, I'm just like, I'm pushing through it. And then I, I told her, I said, Hey, like, I know my, my period's coming my cramps. I'm just, I'm dying. I need to go inside for two minutes. I need to, you know, maybe take a pill and see what I can do when I come out so that we have at least a fair chance. This last two points. So wow. I go in you know, kind of regroup myself. I remember just like being in the locker room and looking at myself in the mirror and just, you know, going like, you got this, like, you can do this. You can get through it. Take a deep breath. So I do, you know, they give, I, I get, I get a pill. Of course the cramps don't go away right away, but just like having that moment and just, I think it was also, you know, allowing myself to be vulnerable and to acknowledge it in that situ, you know, in that situation and, and just honoring that in myself and not trying to just please everybody else and push through it. And, um, and so we did, I go back out on the court, it's 1313 and I'm serving. So I serve, I have to find that clip somewhere, but you know, what happens in the next three minutes is my sister comes with like this most improbable play that, you know, just kind of defines the competitor that she really is and gets two blocks in the next two plays, game over, we win, 15-13. And she, you know, we weren't together during that timeout, but I knew, like I asked her later, so I, like, what did you do? You know, she was still sitting out on the court waiting for me to come out. And she said, you know, I just, I thought about you. I thought about, you know, just summoned everything that I could do. And, and she really, she really came through. It was amazing. I mean, just to have two blocks in a row in yeah. that situation um, was, was quite a performance. So we ended up winning, you know, defeating the European champions in that game. And that allowed us to, we had to win our next game and then go into the round of 16. But you know, what a, like, what an experience. I'm just, I'm still kind of trying to process that. And I haven't shared it with too many people. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. And there is such a taboo. It's a taboo subject still, which is so frustrating because it's a part of our experience as women. Um, But I think that's amazing that you were able to decide to take that self-care that you needed. Right. um, And we're able to take that, that medical time out. You know, it's like a lot of, you learn a lot of things along the way. You learn how to be tough. You learn how to manage under any circumstance. You learn, you know, how to not disturb other people. And, you know, just at that moment, I had to unlearn a lot of things and and to honor something else inside of myself to give myself a full chance. Because, you know, I could have gone through it. And let's say we lost the game. It's not the end of the world, you know. Of course, I, I don't get to play in another Olympics and I will have that memory. And, you know, I just, in that moment, I couldn't live with that thought. 
you know, it, it was just like deciding, like, is that what you want to have for the rest of your life? The moment where you could have done something to honor yourself and give yourself a fair chance or, you know, continue to please everybody else and continue to, you know, stuff it and not say anything. And, and um, so I just, I truly hope that we open up this dialogue and that, you know, not, like, I hope that girls are not alone in that. And I hope that they know that it's okay. And that, you know, it's, it's a part of us. It's what makes us women that we have to honor. I think, and I think that's really interesting how you brought up, you had mostly male coaches too, because it's just not a part of their experience. And also like, there's this idea as men to like, keep going to push forward, which you shattered then and realized like you had to take care of this like womanly experience. Um, I was curious too about that. Like, do you, um, do you find it more challenging to be a female athlete? Like your dad was a professional athlete. Your husband is a NFL, was a Super Bowl champion. Um, uh, do, you, do you find that there's, do you find that you have to push through more barriers? Like not just menstruation, but um, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I think, you know, I was lucky because our dad raised my sister and I, um, to not think of ourselves any different or any less capable, you know, the gender barrier in Bulgaria didn't exist as much as it does, believe it or not, here in the United wow. States. Um, and, and I think from that perspective, I felt like I can do anything that I set my mind to. However, you, you do, I mean, like these monthly occurrences, that's just one thing. Um, but also, you know, hormones, managing my body weight. Like that was another big thing for me is that I always had um, problems to manage my weight. And I don't know if that was because of hormones and, or because my body structure or because of, you know, everything else that uh, us as women, we have to deal with. But, you know, that was really difficult too. Um, so, you know, body image. Um, I had a coach, this is an interesting story. I had a coach when I was 16 years old in Bulgaria that had you know, he said, we're all going to be in better shape. We're going to win the national championship. And we were all for that. He said, okay, now everybody get on the scale. So he weighed all of us and, and, you know, he gave us these arbitrary numbers. So it's like, no, you, you have to lose three kilos. You have to lose this. You have to, I think I had to lose two kilos, which is something like, you know, five pounds doesn't seem like a lot, but, um, and you have a week to do it. Oh my God. So, so I go through the week and I'm like literally starving myself and, and eating apples, you know, and still trying to practice twice a day and go to school at that time. And I couldn't lose the weight. I don't know if it was just like the fear or like my metabolism shut down, but I couldn't lose the weight. And I'm sitting there. The, so the consequence was that you are kicked off the team until you lose the weight. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But that, like, that was the times, you know, this is how you did things. You either conform or you're out. And wow. so I'm sitting there crying Sunday morning because I know the next day, Monday is we have our way in. And my mom, you know, she just looks at me and she's feeling so sorry for me. And I said, mom, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I can't lose my spot on this team. You know, like my whole identity, everything that I wanted to do is wrapped up in this thing that I've spent so much of my life building. 
And um, she felt really sorry for me. And she had, um, you know, like, this is something that, like, she would never do if it was like a normal circumstance, but like seeing how depressed I was and how, you know, broken I would be if like not losing those five pounds would, you know, the kind of effect that it would have on me. She asked a friend of hers who was um, a nurse for a water pill. So she's like, just take, take a water pill. See if you can just like lose the water weight. <laughs> oh, wow! And I was like, this is genius. Thank you. You know, like just anything to make the way in so that I'm not cut off from the team. So wow. I take the water pill. And then I remember the next day I'm going to practice. I get off the bus and all of a sudden everything in front of my eyes goes black. <gasps> I, 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 I feel myself standing. I didn't pass out. I feel myself standing. I hear the people, but I can't see a thing. I keep blinking my eyes and everything is black. And, and I got really scared, you know, and I just, I heard people around me. I said, I'm, I can't see, I can't see. And then there was somebody that said, you know, just lay down, lay down. And so the moment I lay down on the ground, you know, my blood pressure stabilized and I was able to see again and I walked to practice. I made my weight and I just, I was so furious, you know, I was so furious with our coach, with the system with the position that I had put myself in, put my mom in, but also that, you know, the whole system kind of defined. I think that was one of the things that helped me decide to take the step of, you know, quitting the track that I was on in Bulgaria, which would lead me eventually to the national team and to choose education. So it's like, that was the moment, one of the moments that, you know, I gave up on that Olympic dream saying like, if that's what it's going to take, you know, I can't do that with my body, with my life. But yeah, and I'm not the only one that had that experience. There were, you know, sadly, many other girls wow. um, that were going through it. Oh, man. That's so tough. That's so unhealthy for you. Um, Tell me about it. Wow. Yeah. My gosh. Well, the but then you did make it. So that's then I didn't make it. Then yeah. I didn't make it on my terms. On so, you know, I, I have this next experience, you know, like I, I was telling you, it's 1313. Like, do I, you know, am I going to push through and be the tough girl and black out and then not, you know, take this chance that I have to give myself the best chance possible? It's like, it, choose the time out, take care of yourself. Yeah. You know, dare to inconvenience others. Yeah. As you should. Or, as you should to honor yourself. But it was a big lesson that I had to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Thank you so much for, for talking about this. It is like, it's a taboo subject still. It's, it, it has a stigma for some reason, even though it's something that we all go through. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's, I think it's getting better now. I think definitely people are more open about it. And I think male coaches are more sensitive, um, especially, you know, when they're training female athletes, I don't think things are as bad as they used to be. I hope, I hope they're not. Um, I'm certainly, you know, more aware of it. And with my boys who are, you know, 10 and 12, we had hired um, a professional who would present this whole information 
in a way, you know, for, for them understanding what puberty is and the changes that happen in their own bodies. But what I was really pleased is that the person that came in to talk to the boys, you know, there were a, gr- a group with their peers, also explained what happens in the girls' bodies at the same time, if not wow. even prior to what happens to the boys. And so that they would have an appreciation and an understanding and be a little bit more sensitive and, you know, um, know what's happening. Like that didn't happen when I was growing up, right? Yeah, but, um, I didn't learn so, boys. That was like yeah. 20 years ago. Right. And, and of course, the, my boys haven't said a word to me about it. You know, there's like, they're like, no, we're not talking about it. La, 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 la. <laughs> but at least they heard it. They know what's happening. They're aware of it. And I'm hoping that they themselves would be more sensitive to their classmates if something like that was to happen. And, you know, they would know what it is. And um, I think it's just, it's so important to be open. Oh, good. Yeah, that that's awesome. Um, and Lena, just to, to end things off, um, do you have anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? What else would I like to share? You know, I'm really hopeful um, how things are shaping out to be. I think this is one of the, the things that I've seen great changes happen with uh, gender equality, with the opportunities that are coming to girls and women. Um, I think having an open dialogue like we are right now, even though it seems scary and embarrassing and you know all these other, like I hope that this gives permission to other girls and women to step into that and not feel alone because we're, we're in it together. We are in it together. Like every woman is in it together. Thank you so much, Lena. And is there a way that people can find out about your, your coaching and your Airbnb experiences? Of course, yes. It's um, on my website, lenataylor.com, lena, L-I-N-A, taylor.com. And also if anybody wants to send me an email, I'm always open for dialogues, um, how to navigate these sensitive subjects. And my email is very simple, lena at lenataylor.com. Awesome. It was so wonderful to have you on today again. Great talking to you, Alice. Thank you so much for the opportunity and keep up the good work. 